This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 400, Quadringenti. 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 Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Michael Rowe here on a auspicious Friday the 13th, ready for episode 400 of Games Worked Up is with my friends and co-hosts, Michael Martin and Andy Piper. Andy, how the heck are you? I'm very well, Michael. It's uh, exciting to be here. I noticed that you used the word auspicious there to describe yes. our, our show. Of course, auspicious being a, a word with Latin roots. Yes. Uh, so uh, very good. Very nice uh, combination. This, this whole with our show, show is going back to our roots. Right? It is. It is. <laughs> 400 episodes. It's pretty awesome. So yeah, excited yes, to be here. Yes. How, how's, how are things? Uh, things are well. Michael, how are you? Oh, fantastic. Uh, been looking forward to this day for so long. It, I can't even tell you, but but it's here, right? It, and it is auspicious, uh, more so from the you know show that we're about to do than the day we're recording it. So um, we've got all <laughs> kinds of fun links for you, as we are wont to do. Uh, and uh, let's get to them uh, right from the get-go. There, there's one that will harken back to things we've talked about before, a CNET article about a researcher who fed into chat GPT um, a select elements of her diaries when she was younger so that she could now chat with herself, which was pretty darn cool. And there's some excerpts from the experiences that this researcher has had with her prior self powered by chat GPT. Yeah, the interesting thing about this is the fact that she actually had kept all her diaries from ages 7 to 19, <laughs> so she could feed them in. Um, I did find it interesting. Well, you haven't? Oh, of course, of course, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I did find it interesting um, that uh, it was a select set, right? Instead of just dumping it all, which would probably give the algorithm more things it could discover. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Is it? Is it? It's pretending to be her. Obviously, uh, there's no sentience in Chat GPT yet. But uh, you know, for ten billion dollars, you could uh, make it work for you too. It reminds me of the Black Mirror episode a little bit, with the uh, where they take a social media profile of somebody's partner who passed. I believe, mm -hmm. if I remember mm -hmm. the show, the episode correctly. But as you say, this is interesting because they are um, Michelle, the lady that's done this, has taken sample text from her diary entries that she feels now represent, best represent her younger self's personality and beliefs, and then gives that into uh, passes that into GPT three uh, from OpenAI. It is interesting to see the language it comes out with and the way that it's able to respond. Although I don't know what your observations are but whenever i see something that um, is presented in this sort of chat format i do see a lot of repetition of the previous statement um from, yeah. from the other person so, so so you know it means that it, it's directly connecting the same terminology and language to the previous comment 
but it's also to me now becoming quite noticeable. What's a little yeah, what's, what's more difficult? Yeah, I was going to say, but what's more difficult than just being Eliza and kind of repeating back with a question or repeating back a question as an answer, um, and it's not doing that, it's it's deeper than that, but is how well it does or does not equate the arc of the conversation, right? I mean, that's one of the things that a lot of the, you know, um, digital assistants are trying to do now with context and say... Okay, you recently were talking about buying a plane ticket, and now you're talking about changing something. Are you changing your plane ticket, right? Uh, and and threading a, a a theme through the entire conversation. But yeah, I did find it a bit repetitive in the way it comes back. But so still, the, I mean, it's still impressive. So the story was actually came out a couple of weeks ago, beginning of January. Yep. Um, I just got around to sharing it with you both. And actually, if you look into it, she was posting about this back in November and she tweeted a thread of instructions about how you might do the same sort of thing with your own content. But again, it gives some advice about the parameters, the reason behind only having chosen select entries or, or, or samples. It's quite a it's, it's a very long thread. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think I I think the crew at the Daily Tech News show had done a version of this after this article, where um, Tom Merritt and um, I think one other of the hosts over there had taken this and did it against themselves to see what it would turn out like. So, what would impress me is have me talking to future me or Furby. <laughs> Or, or, or a Furby, Furby. Or, or talking to yourself. So the, the Furby article in conjunction with this one was reminding me a little bit of what we had had a lot of laughs before where one Google AI talked to another Google AI <laughs> and to the point of trying to figure out which one of them was the bot and which one wasn't. But um, Furby, for those of you who grew up Gosh, in, in the last couple of decades, you might remember that this was a toy uh, that would converse with you as well. And this particular toot uh, made the um, astute observation that this is the 1998 version of Chat GPT. Um, there's, there's been a more recent version of the Furby as well, hasn't there? There's been, uh, there's been, it's come back a few times uh, as, a, yeah. as a thing, and it's gone from having sort of physical plastic eyes to sort of a screen where the eyes have been, I think, and, and have been more connected. The original one, though, that uh, goes all the way back, uh, didn't have any kind of internet connectivity. It was just a little thing that responded to phrases. And there was this suggestion, apparently, uh, uh, that the NSA at some point thought that this was actually learning English, which is it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, and there was Teddy Ruxpin before that, too. Oh, if yeah. You remember indeed. Teddy. And mm. um, th this evolution, I mean, we're going to draw an arc here before too long where it will be, um, from a privacy perspective, you'll want to have the language processing happening uh, on toy, <laughs> Internet of toy, <laughs> uh, where it's not going to be Internet connected and um, you don't have to worry about the NSA uh, listening in on your conversations about what you're trying to do with your G.I. Joe uh, or your Furby or I, whatever. I I just don't want to know what you're trying to do with your G.I. Joe or your Furby or whatever. Um, 
<laughs> you, what you do in the <laughs> privacy of your own home, Michael, is your business. That's right. <laughs> now, um, you alluded to this uh, a few moments ago, Michael. Um, there's been a fair amount. I of forgot news. it was in our rundown. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it's easy. We've, Which, we've got lots of topics, uh, and this one is intriguing about Microsoft making a significant investment. Lots of new stories about Microsoft investing in Chat GPT and including it in Bing searches, uh, including it in office products, a whole range of things. And this is a $10 billion bet. So how's that for almost alliteration on three words? Well, what's really interesting here is the uh, the business model that they're putting in place, right? Yep. So uh, any money that is generated in the near term goes to paying off the $10 billion debt mm-hmm. to Microsoft. Uh, so... There are other investors. Uh, at the end of this time period, Microsoft would have 49%. The other investors would have 49%, and a nonprofit organization holds 2% of it. Uh, so uh, I, I guess that's to kind of keep the balance between the two sets of investors. Uh, but the fact that uh, they get preferential tre- treatment to paying off that $10 billion is kind of interesting to me. It also says that... Uh, Microsoft has has faith that this could be monetized appropriately. It does. It, it's it's almost a, a reverse balloon kind of structure here uh, in the way the the financial instrument has been created. Um, I found it very interesting too, and I also uh, I'm not I'm not suggesting that it's easy to do because it's not. Uh, and OpenAI has been at this now for a while. But if you think about the relative meteoric rise in terms of valuation for something like this, what if there were another competitor to this that were to emerge in the next six months or so? Would would that potentially command uh, another $10 billion or so or more from another party that would want to take advantage of it? Um, that's kind of what went through my mind here, uh, even though I know that OpenAI spent a lot of time doing the research and doing the development work that needs to be done to get to this stage. But advances in AI are going to happen more and more rapidly, especially as we're seeing devoted um, infrastructure and chipsets for such a thing and the movement towards quantum computing, which will allow for even more complicated, uh, hard problems to be solved in a faster way. Well, what, what I've been looking at uh, over the last six months or so is the acceleration here. That's what's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, a year ago, we were talking about some, some interesting stuff in AI, but it seems to be more and more things are getting infused with the enhancements and improvements that are happening in AI around chat, language models, understanding, things of that nature. And one of the big challenges for AI has always been general AI. Sure. And if you can put a veneer on it to where chat understands all the domains it needs to go to for the next level down, that may get us closer and closer at least to um, a structure that might start appearing like a general AI. And, and there's certainly licensing elements that are going to come out of this, too. I, I can't imagine that Microsoft is going to say they're going to be the sole supplier of this kinds of function. It's it's really going to be important towards driving cloud usage within the Azure space. I'm sure Microsoft is thinking heavily about that aspect of it as well. 
um, maybe last to round out some of the uh, conversation that we've had here around the AI front uh, was a, a pretty funny toot that um, reflects some of the show notes that we've been putting together here recently as well. Uh, the prompt was, please write a medium length disclaimer that this article was written by a human and not with chat GPT. <laughs> um, it, it was, um, I think Andy, you found this one and, and we'd had a conversation recently about uh, how can you watermark or somehow determine that something was written by an AI or something was not written by an AI and we kind of got into the turtles all the way down structure on that too. So. Yeah, I I also was amused by the uh, part of this disclaimer that uses the words, the thoughts and opinions expressed in this article are solely those of the author and do not reflect the views of ChatGPT. <laughs> uh, Where have we uh, heard that a, before? A pattern that we hear quite often. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good stuff for sure. All right, so uh, let's switch gears for a second. And on this audio podcast, we're going to go a little video on on you, our listening audience. Uh, we've we've talked once or twice about augmented reality and stuff like that in the last few years, I'd say. And a funny video that I happened to see come across my feed was a rock climbing wall game where the two climbers on the same physical wall had superimposed on the wall a pong game so that they could play a game of pong where the paddles were the people climbing up and down the wall and the ball was superimposed on the wall going back and forth between them. Um, probably not the killer app. It was. Uh, it was the killer, killer app. app. It well, started it the whole thing. was kind of the killer app. Um, yeah. So. Did you see? But did you see how long ago this video was from? Six um, years. I did, and I don't remember. Six, six years, years ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> did we? Did we not talk about this six years ago? Uh, we must have missed it because we didn't. I don't remember talking about this. I don't either. We? No, I, I don't remember to, either, to be honest. But I am curious to go back and read and uh, check through our uh, our blog archives. It's it's very fun I, as when you shared it and I hadn't spotted that uh, age or that that um, aging of the article or the the video. I did wonder how they were doing that. Um, in if it was some kind of hologrammatic thing, but it's just it's being projected onto the wall. So it's really one of those things that you now see as sort of bar games on the mm -hmm. replacement of the old air hockey table that people now they now you can now get them with <laughs> screens and things instead. So. Yeah, it's fun. Like it. So so let's go to something much more current. I didn't realize it was six years ago. That's crazy. Yes. Um let's do something. Back when we were so much younger. Yeah, and, and, and less AR experienced, of course, too. So if we go to something that's a little bit more current, um, uh, I had an email come into my inbox uh, from the folks over at BMW to introduce more properly they, the BMW. They must have been listening to last week's we show. Briefly about this. And knew you needed to know more. Uh, they probably did. And they're like, <laughs> oh, you know what? We need to send Michael more. And um, the storytelling of this particular video, which is it's a, it's a little lengthy. You, you got to invest seven minutes. So it's a little bit longer than the, the usual marketing message. Um, stars some important people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and others. Uh, but the the not just the production value of this and the storytelling in this, we, we talked about BMW uh, for CES talking about using the entirety of the windshield as an augmented reality screen and then superimposing upon what you see um, 
I'll just call it more information or to transform what you're seeing into something otherworldly almost. It, it almost looked kind of avatar uh, Avatar-esque. There's my second esque of this show that, for those of you tracking at home. Um, the, my reaction to this was alternately, wow, that's amazing, right? Um, you you uh-huh. can see these birds flying next to you. You can see neon glowing buildings, all that kind of stuff. And then on the flip side of it was there's nothing in this video talking about how the vehicle is capable of autonomous driving and if you had your windshield go full ar on you um it's not blocking out extraneous information it's actually superimposing more and that might make it a little more difficult for the driver to do what they need to do which is drive safely yeah you'd kind of think that was the most important aspect of all of this so um right this is the ultimate driving machine (laughs) not the ultimate riding machine yeah, uh, I, I mean, I was excited. I was excited about it, but it is right. It's the driving machine. And, and actually, that's part of the storyline of this uh, seven-minute video of how important the vehicle is. And that that has been, at least in the U.S. here, Andy, uh, a, a theme of some major car companies recently about the, the joy of driving and the, the experience of driving, that driving is important and manual transmissions are important. Do you think, and do you think that's because there's a, an oil industry that's desperate to keep selling cars? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably so uh, and the yeah. automobile industry trying to say that driving is fun and you yeah want but the torque on electric vehicles drive, right you know that would be fun transportation <laughs> there's definitely a rise i've noticed in stories about how expensive electric cars are becoming to run this morning i saw a story about uh tesla in the u.s and europe dropping 20 percent off their prices Whoa. Yeah, I saw the I saw the stories about the, the, the prices of cars coming down, but I, I've also observed, yeah. and maybe th- this is just a sort of my my filters on the world, mm-hmm. um, the algorithm, what the algorithm's serving to me, and it's ironic as a as an EV driver, um, but it's really seems to be pushing a lot more about um, the cost of electric vehicles versus um, petrol, and then you're mentioning this about the sort of uh, retro uh feel for for older older cars or the the way things used to be i noticed a lot of the comments on this particular video are also talking about sort of thinking back to the 80s and what a great time that was and how today everything is really sterile so there seems to be a lot of um longing for past past times but i do wonder how much that's uh yeah yeah industries attempting to weaponize people's uh views the, the the one one benefit that I saw clearly in this was the augmented reality identifying a bicycle, uh, a cyclist, and kind of highlighting that cyclist that may not have caught the attention of the driver. And I thought that was actually kind of a nice, cool thing because the in the storyline it's like, oh, I might not have seen that. Uh, I didn't I didn't see that bicyclist. So there's some there's definitely some things that could be really positive if the entire but, landscape of your windshield can be an AR I, experience. I, I like that thought, that and, and I immediately went to the inverse, to which is you, you needed that because your entire windshield is an augmented reality thing that's providing you with all this other information that's easy to get distracted with. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, do you need to know your social exactly. media feeds and your email on your windshield? I would say no. 
No, I actually do. Driving. I do appreciate that CarPlay won't let you uh, access a lot of information. Uh, I, I've tried to ask Siri for stuff I'm curious about whilst I'm driving sometimes, yeah. and it, it only doesn't only serves you the information that you need for driving. Uh, so I, I do. I actually do appreciate. That. I hope. I hope those are things that are retained as the tech industry continues to think about how to augment experiences like driving uh, and doesn't become cluttered. Because I think this is one of those times and areas of the intersection of technology and society where it's important to keep sight of the fact that we are in charge of the technology and we want technology to serve us uh, and not the other way around. I, I think the key thing there, and, and this is so important, I think, across lots of different spaces, whether we're talking about the usage of technology uh, or, or others, and that's context. Back to the point, do you need your social media feed while you're driving? No. I, there are so many times I've done it, too, while I'm you know thinking of something, I go, hey, dingus, tell me this answer to such and such and it's like uh you need to unlock your phone which you're not going to be able to do right now right well i have a counterpoint which is this morning or this, this afternoon that i was driving to lunch with somebody uh, as i drove around the roundabout and, and started to come up to where i was going to be parking i saw that the restaurant that we'd arranged to meet at was closed and all of our communication had been via a social media channel mm. so i was immediately expecting to see a message from them on a social media app uh, telling me, oh, by the way, here's an alternative plan. But uh, obviously I managed to uh, withhold my excitement until I parked up and, and, and checked that information, but uh, it was all good. But would yes, an artificial intelligence agent smart enough to know that in context, be able then to intercept the message and let you know you, what you needed to in a way just, that would make sense? Just, well, just change your directions of where you're going so that your your map says, no, 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 take a left. I know the restaurant's on your right. Just go left. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, all right. So next article, kind of a fun one. Andy, I think you found this one about uh, one of our favorite topics uh, is uh, engaging with another one of our favorite topics. And um, there will be all kinds of profit that results from it. Who knows? Well, this is a story that came through one of the Lego-related blogs, Brick Fanatics, calling out the fact that Lego are hiring a number of people to uh, lead their metaverse um, efforts. Now, interestingly, I heard today that Lego's previous head of metaverse went to work for Epic Games. I may be mistaken or may be misinformed about that, so that was purely uh, mm. on the grapevine. But anyway... Um, they are hiring for a number of uh, folks roles on the uh, on the what they call the game team and the game team. Uh, what does that stand for? It's in the article here, I think. Um, game activations and metaverse experiences, which is quite yes. interesting as an acronym. Uh, it's yeah, of course, it's exciting and interesting, and um, they call out Lego Worlds which was a sort of a mine effort to sort of build something Minecraft like previously. There's obviously been a series of very successful franchise linked uh, video games in the Lego space, but it'd be interesting to see what they, and, and but there's also been the augmented reality efforts where they've had Lego uh, hidden side and some of the uh, other things which have 
made an effort to bring augmented reality experiences onto physical Lego sets. Be really interesting to see where they take this as a strategy, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And given the investment amount, it's significant here too. It's not just a few people for this team. Mm, absolutely. Um, all right. Switching gears uh, a little bit. We've got a, a few articles here that are kind of fun around um, our, our Doom kind of experiences that, that seems to <laughs> pop up uh, once or twice. So we have a, a story here about Legend of Zelda, Z- Legend of Zelda <laughs> that is uh, leveraging a particular Legend of Doom mod to recreate Zelda in Doom. Um, I... I enjoyed watching this video. Uh, I, now, I wasn't in VR, so I didn't have the terrifying experience that's referenced. But I didn't really pay attention when I watched the video that it said it was based off of the Legend of Doom, right? Mm. And it was using the Doom engine. Because I was like, God, this kind of looks like the Doom engine. And look how flat all the graphics yeah. are, right? It's typical. <laughs> you know, peeking around the corner was like, a binary statement right it's like you couldn't see anything you could see everything you could see anything, everything <sighs> it's really fun uh the video is quite good because it yes. takes you through the game it doesn't it's not just a couple of little se- sequences it doesn't take you through the whole game necessarily but you know you get different environments yes you're absolutely right it's putting the it, it's kind of almost more like wolfenstein 3d the original where you just had these 2d sprites mm-hmm. that were laid out in such a way as to make you think you were in a sort of a 3D-esque environment, but it's in VR, um, so so you have that element of it as well. It's fun that it's a mod of a mod. Um, yes. I haven't yet still, I've had a quest for a couple of years now, or about 18 months, and I still haven't actually done anything to sideload things into it, but um, I, I'm quite tempted just for this sort of thing. It's, it, looks, it looks fun. It looks fun. I like it. Okay. And, it and it's VR. Ta-da! Um, <laughs> so uh, next up, we have a really cool article. I've spent some time reading through this to see how this actually worked, where you could control your avatar in Minecraft in real life. That is walking around with, in this case, a, a, a laptop and change <laughs> with <laughs> to be able to move around in Minecraft and to be able to act on it. This is I some mean, really cool stuff. It is. I mean, the laptop's really there for the, from the perspective of being able to see to the see Minecraft it. game. Yep. Um, so it may be a bit of a bit overkill. You could probably do that on some kind of tablet, but uh, they're using an Arduino and um, a six degree of freedom uh, uh, device plus um, a, a couple of force resisted, force sensitive resistors to figure out the direction you're moving in, uh, and then to t- to push that into the game. It's one of the cool things that. Uh, has come from the fact that Minecraft still has the um, the Java port and the ability to to put your own code and, and plug your own stuff into it, uh, even though obviously it's become much more complicated than that and runs on consoles and other things as well. You can still um, get and play with um, those customizable parts to the Minecraft code. And yeah, I think it's really fun. Um, I... I- I've been meaning to, you know, set up my own Minecraft server. I, I did it a long time ago and, and haven't. Um, but watching this video uh, without 
the left hand side, so the side that shows you what the person's look at looking at, it looks like the guy's just drunk walking on the quad. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Because he's <laughs> like taking a half step forward and leaning back and uh, but yeah, I think if if you look at it from the standpoint of having some other type of of visual aid to seeing in the environment. This is great. It's really, really cool. Uh, and and you, like you said, it's 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 not about the laptop that it's holding. It's all the rest of the tech that's kind of interesting. And it doesn't seem to be that big of a project. It says, you know, you could do this whole thing in two hours to, to configure everything it's, and set it all up. It's so. beginner difficulty breadboard instructions, assuming you've got the parts you need and there's a couple of more complicated ones that are not so easy to come by. But either way, yes, it's... Uh, it's very cool, and I love. I've loved, loved for the longest time the Arduino ecosystem that really gives you this ability to start to plug different things together uh, and yeah, do fun things and prototype fun things. Yeah, and and the solutions cool. to the challenges such as walking with the sensors in the shoes and using a gyroscope to manage what was actually maybe looking like you're drunk, but you could now use that to manipulate what you're looking at again super cool stuff i mean it's yep. it's 200 i mean the other thing to think about it here is it's it's less than 300 lines of, of arduino code um some of which yeah. is you know just doing logging or, or po- po- putting stuff on that on the console so yes it's it's very cool that um you can combine these components to, to do that kind of stuff now the next article michael is one that kind of got you um a little excited, uh, one might say. Um, and um, let's talk about the development of a different kind of controller for a racing game and the in, um, intriguing way that well, they set it up so that you could control it. I, I, I just remember many uh, gaming console or gaming cabinets in the arcade that had this controller like, right? Which was basically uh, an upside down trackball. Mm hmm. Well, I guess it's a trackball, right? Uh, yeah. That you would you would just sit there and and slap your hand across it to move in the right direction, right? Um, and so this was, I thought, just an ingenious way of building one of those yourself, right? Uh, uh, which is if you've ever taken an old uh, ball-driven mouse and opened it up, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That's what this person did is basically redesigned or recreated that same exact experience using the the roller balls on deodorant containers um, and some three uh, some some cardboard connectors in order to create a frame to hold those roller balls and put another ball on top and that other ball they say it's a soccer ball but it's it's just a big rubber ball right or a big plastic ball uh and uh it's it's the sensors that catch the movement of the ball to give you multi-axis directional control of a of of a character in a game i thought this was genius it was it was so simple and so easy to understand and for people who've never had to take a mouse apart or played with a trackpad and taken it apart or a, a trackball excuse me um it's a great way of teaching somebody about that tech and how to how to create it how it was built and what it does yeah yeah, there, there was a, another story uh, I saw this week that related to those kind of rollable type controllers as well. That was taking one of the older, really high resolution industrial trackballs and you know enabling it to be connected over modern USB and so on. But 
you're right, just being able to take something as simple as something like a, a, a roll-on deodorant con uh, and convert it into a controller is, again, really fun. It's, uh, it's, it's really neat to see what people are doing. It's my entirely my fault that we're getting a lot of hack hackaday and hackster uh, related links recently because I I do spend a ton of my time reading those kind of sites, <laughs> and it's fun to see them. You know, we can all relate to them for sure. So another thing that we can I think all relate to in one way or another, and this goes back uh, one or two or ten or twenty years, is Dungeons and Dragons. And while we could wax poetic about all the fun, good things that have happened with Dungeons and Dragons over the years, uh, it has been in the news here as of late because of something that Wizards of the Coast have had around the open gaming license. Um, and this open gaming license, oh, look at this. Michael's got the player's handbook. Uh, one of the original original ones that's pretty darn for, cool for listeners to our audio for advanced D&D &D, not regular D&D yeah, &D. Uh, I, I do have my original D&D &D books too of course <laughs> but I can't get those easily and um, and so in the news, what's going on right now is that Wizards of the Coast, which is a Hasbro-owned publisher of the game, had plans in place to update this open gaming license, which has allowed a whole range of creators to do some interesting things following the rules and language and structure. And this <clears throat> update was not going to be just any old update. It was going to create all kinds of potential issues. Um and there are people left and right now that have uh, ceased their subscriptions to Dungeons and Dragons uh, and the Wizards of the Coast kinds of stuff in anticipation that this was going to come out and really wreak havoc on the ecosystem. Um, guys, thoughts on what you're seeing around this? Well, uh, I'm of two minds, right? One... From a corporation perspective, I understand they want their IP and they want to monetize their IP. And they're trying to build um, kind of the next generation modernization of the ecosystem. They're doing significant investment in television and movies and yada, 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 yada. From the other perspective, go back from the creator community. The reason that they have this property to do this is for decades the community has kept this alive, yeah. right? They, they had their heyday in the late 70s, mid 80s, and then it just kind of went underground. I mean, this the, the book that I pulled up is a, a TSR book, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Which was one of the original, uh, the I think the second owners of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and the original books were, it was Gary Gyax and another guy that started it, right? Uh, and so, they only exist because of that fan base and alienating your fan base of creators. That's the other key thing. They're, they're, they're going after the creators of the content, not just the users of the content, right? And so these are the, this is going after your ecosystem of developers I, it, well, in the software world. It's about the creators. And the creators in this case, with a role-playing game, are explicitly your players. Um, you, you, you really seed the content. And yep. the whole goal is to enable those players to be creative with it and to go and um, go further. Now, the interesting thing with Dungeons & Dragons, particularly I think in the last 10 or 15 years, is technology's um, become available to, to share this stuff in a much more uh, consistent way, is that 
uh, those creators have you know been really successful at building some of those store side stories side things the, the story on TechCrunch here even calls out things like um, Kickstarters for expansions uh, and also for like the the interactive gaming tables that we've spoken about quite a lot on the show and this putting the, the, the clauses in the new open gaming license here putting uh, those things at risk which is a real shame and yeah. I've spoken about this quite a lot over the course of the last couple of months um, again reminds me to encourage people to have a look at Cory Doctorow's Chokepoint Capitalism book because it's really a land grab from a corporation over creative endeavours and really sort of trying to squeeze some of that. And in the case of a, a community-created uh, franchise or content, that that's quite uh, worrying and upsetting. So I can certainly understand, but as you say, Michael, that there's two sides to it. I can understand the some of the, the, the corporate aspects. They, they are trying to paint it as like, similar to some of the other big franchises like uh, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, although even Lord of the Rings, I think, has only recently relatively come into that sort of uh, umbrella of content and brands that are trying to be- become media empires, whereas Harry Potter potentially started off in the in that space almost as soon as it became popular yeah. and is much more recent. Anyway, we haven't... We've, we've, we've got just got a... Um, just wanted to hit on this conversation generally. There's a TechCrunch story. There's uh, a tweet about it um, that we'll link to in the show notes. The community is pretty upset. Yep. Yes. And, and we still don't have officially, officially the version 1.1 of the license out there. And that's it's only it. been leaked. That's right. It's yeah. only been leaked. So stay tuned. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, wrapping up, folks, for episode 400, uh, we'll, we'll 400. end on a fun toot here uh, that I'll read from Alex Blechman. It says, in the future, AI technology will play video games for us. You'll say, computer, play Doom, and a message will pop up saying, you have won Doom. <laughs> so um, if valuable free time is freed up because you can have the computer play a game for you, uh, you know where to spend it. It's right here with us on gamesatwork.biz. All right. And we'd love to hear from you over at our blog at gamesatwork.biz or over on our various social media sites. Um, uh, And especially uh, on your podcatcher of choice, go and rate us, uh, help others find us so that uh, in 400 more episodes, we'll keep doing this. And all kinds of anniversary cakes swag and other things are welcome you know where to send it send it to us on the internet (laughs) yes (laughs) digitally of course of course all right well we'll see you next time it's been fun see ya see ya you've been listening to gamesatwork.biz the podcast about gaming technology and play we are part of the blueberry podcasting network and would like to thank the band random encounters for their song big blue you can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork_biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Mm-hmm.